Well, good morning, everybody, and Happy New Year. You guys are here on the first day of the year. How many, honestly, were up past midnight last night? All right, that's unusual probably for most of you. And so I'm just saying you are the cream of the crop this morning. Getting out of bed saying, you know what, church is going to be important this year. And uh, we're praying that God is just going to meet you this morning and that God's going to do some great things. And today we're going to start a new series. We're going to be studying the book of John next, and we are excited about that. And we're going to do some expository preaching, which means we're going to go kind of line by line, section with section, and uh, just asking God to fill us up and let the Word of God speak to us. And I'm I'm excited about that, and uh, really it fulfills the call of God on my life to preach the Word. I believe that's what God wants me to do, and uh, back in the fall, uh, really actually right after my sabbatical, I started reading the book of Mark and then the book of John, and when I was going through the book of John just on my daily devotions, I just kept on feeling like, man, I could preach this. This would be great, and so here we go, and we're excited about that. Now, how many of you have ever heard that when someone gets saved, they should read the book of John first. How many have ever heard that before? Okay, all right, a few of you have. And uh, I was wondering, why is that? Why would people be sent to the book of John? Well, the reason, as I did a little digging, is because the book of John talks about believing. Over 90 times it talks about believing and how believing leads to eternal life. And so it kind of explains what happens to a believer. And so for new believers, it's important for them to read the book of John. Now, because it's the first book we encourage a lot of people to read, you might think, well, it's the most simple of the Gospels, right? But that could not be further from the truth. It's actually quite a complex Gospel. It's not meant, some commentators say, it's not meant for unbelievers. And, uh, and we'll find out about that momentarily. It's actually quite deep. It's meant for believers, especially chapters 13 through 21. And so we want to start with some background. And each week we're going to build on the background and kind of uh, be emerging and uh, letting you know so you have a real good sense of where, we're, where uh, the book came from and all those things. But I want to talk about the four Gospels momentarily here. Uh, four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But did you realize that the first three Gospels are very similar in nature? They have overlapping stories, a lot of similarities. They are called the Synoptic Gospels. And it's very different from the Gospel of John. Now let me try to explain just real briefly. The purpose of Matthew, for example, written to a Jewish audience, was that Jesus was the rightful king. When you read through Matthew, it talks a lot about the kingdom of God and all these things. And so one point is in the genealogy talking about Jesus, it links Jesus to Abraham and then to David halfway through and then all the way to Jesus. So from King David to Jesus, Jesus was the rightful king and he was the son of David, an important distinction there. Now for Mark, very different. Uh, the, he was a, writing to the Gentile audience instead of the Jewish audience. And we see in Mark that Jesus is the servant king. Mark chapter four, 10, verse 45 says he came to seek, and, and I'm not sorry, he came to serve. He came to lay down his life to serve. And there's no genealogy there, so a little different. The purpose of Luke, written to a Gentile audience again, 
Um, the genealogy here in chapter 3 is interesting. It goes back all the way to the first man, all the way back to Adam. So from Joseph all the way, kind of tra- travels all the way back to Adam. You say, well, why is this important? Well, because in, John, or I'm sorry, in Luke, we see that Jesus is the son of man. And it goes back again to that first man, Adam. And then here comes John and what we're going to be studying. It's written with one purpose. The purpose that we might know Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus would be the Son of God. In fact, uh, there's a divine genealogy here in the prologue, in the first few verses of John. In fact, in the first 34 verses, which we're going to try to study this morning, John introduces us to Jesus. If you ever had a wonder, who is Jesus? We're going to learn a, a bit this morning. As way of introduction, we should know who wrote the book of John. Uh, anyone want to take a guess who wrote the book of John? John, right? It's not a trick question, all right? I mean, I know it's early, but it, yes, John wrote the book of John. Now, that was actually not debated for over 1,800 years, and then there were several hundred years where that was, came into question. Uh, but recently, in the last uh, 100 years or so, there was actually first century uh, uh, written scripture that included the book of John. And so without a shadow of doubt in my mind, I believe and most contemporary uh, authors, uh, commentators believe that John was written by John. But who was John? John was the youngest of the disciples. He was one of the 12, right? But not only was he one of the 12, he was one of the three. He was described as one of Jesus' closest friends, not Jesus's. No, no, just, no, just kidding. That's an inside joke for uh, the staff. I'm sorry. Uh, but anyway, whom Jesus loved is how John was described. And when did he write it? He wrote it at the end of his life. Fifty years after Jesus would have died and rose again, at the end of the first century, it was the last gospel written probably between 80 and 90 A.D. And what's great about that is when we read John, when we study John, what we are uh, reading and studying is an eyewitness account Someone that walked with Jesus, someone that knew Jesus intimately, personally, walked with him. You say, why did John write? Well, at the end of his life, certainly he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's why he wrote. Uh, but he had all these stories on his mind. He, shared, he probably shared a thousand different times. But there's really one reason. I want you to turn with me to the John chapter 20. Because John describes exactly why he wrote the book, the gospel of John. And this is what it says. In John chapter 20, verse 30, it says, Jesus performed other signs in the presence of his disciples. I want you to highlight or underline signs. He performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, these stories that we're going to read, that you may believe, you can underline that as well, that Jesus is the Messiah or the Christ, the Son of God. Everybody say, Jesus is the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life. That's the third, ver- third word there that I want you to highlight in his name. So what you see here is we're going to see some signs. We're going to hear and see what John saw. It should leave a, lead us to a place where we believe 
And then that leads to life, according to Scripture here. In, in uh, the book of John, half of the t- Half of the time when we read about life, we're reading about eternal life. The other half is talking about abundant life here on this side of eternity. And so the challenge this, with this book, the book of John, is do you believe it? Do you believe in Jesus? And then we want to grow in our faith, grow in our understanding. We want to stretch our faith because the ultimate result of studying the book of John, it will lead us to life in life here on this side of eternity, and eternal life. And so uh, we, we really, I'm excited about this. You say, well, whom, to whom did uh, he write this? For whom? Uh, he, John wrote this for all Christians, for all believers, for all ages, young and old, new believers and seasoned believers, for those who have hungry hearts. That's who John was written for. And the, I believe, without a shadow of a doubt in my heart, it's time for us to study this book and really take things to a different level, take it to a deep level. And you think about your relationship with God, the depth, the quality of your relationship with the Lord. This is a true statement, I believe. You cannot walk deeply without knowing Jesus deeply. You've got to know who He is. Who is Jesus? The authentic Jesus. And so we're going to study that. And we're going to ask the Lord to bring understanding week in and week out in regards to this. And what's great is 100 years from now, nothing else matters than answering this question, who is Jesus? How many got some good Christmas gifts in the last week, right? Oh yeah, I hope so, right? None of those Christmas gifts are going to matter. You might be obsessing about something uh, like I am. Uh, I've been saved. I saved up all my Christmas money. I haven't spent a dime, and uh, and I, I'm saving up for something special. But you know what? In a hundred years, or a thousand years, or ten thousand years, it's not going to matter, right? The only thing that matters is who is Jesus. You may be experiencing tremendous trouble in your life. Trouble in home. You may have debt up to your eyeballs. Nothing else matters than who is Jesus. You may have trouble at school or with friends, or you may be all caught up in in stuff, your car, your home, or different things. Nothing else matters. So what does John say about Jesus? Let's look at it. And and we turn to John chapter 1, and in the very first um, little section here, we see four different times that Jesus is the Word. Let's look at it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Let's just pause there for a moment. The Word, it's describing Jesus. Stick up to verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Four different times John uses this word, word, to describe who Jesus is. This is a divine genealogy here. It's referring to the incarnation, an undiminished deity. And then in verse 14 it says, And the word was with God, was God, and then became flesh. The word, 
And for the early audiences, those that would have heard John write this or heard him say this, they would have heard, if they were Jewish descent, they would have reflected back on Holy Scripture, on the Old Testament, what the prophets had said. Uh, They would have said, you know, thus saith the Lord. They would have understood it in that context. For the Greeks, for the Gentiles, they would have heard that word, word, which is logos, which kind of refers to logic. They would have heard of Aristotle and Socrates and in in the Greek philosophy, philosophy, there was this word called the word logos that was a philosophical idea that there was a cause to the universe, that there was some reason everything was exi- had existed. And John was saying, yes, Jesus is that reason, right? And it's not like the Greeks thought that they couldn't understand or couldn't know fully our personal relationship. John is saying, look, there's a reason, and that reason is God. That reason is Jesus. Jesus is the reason for everything, the driving force for everything. And what's interesting is if you study the book of John, he uses that Jesus is the word only four times. And then after verse 14, then the word became flesh. And after that, it's all straight Jesus. And so let's look at what else is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And we see not only is he the word, but Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Let's look at verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. These, these verses here, this verse talks about a face-to-face encounter, an intimacy a coexistence, a co-equal. Jesus was not underneath, but he was equal to God. He is God. And it's very important that we understand that and are crystal clear that he is God. Because the Jehovah's Witness, for example, they would say in their watchtower that Jesus was a God. And I'm not an expert here, but I would just say Jesus was not a God. He is God. The Mormons would say something similar, that, a, that, a God, that Jesus was a God, and by the way, you could become a God as well, and absolutely not. No, only Jesus. There's one God, and not only is Jesus him, he's God, but he's also eternal. Let's look at it. In the beginning was with God, it was with God, and then it says in verse 2, he, that's Jesus, was with God in the beginning. Jesus is eternal. There is no beginning, no end to who Jesus is. And by the way, he invites us into eternity in heaven with him. How great is that? Jesus is eternal. He's not going anywhere. And he's here for us. And there's other verses that say he's the same yesterday as he is today, as he is forever. And I'm grateful for that. He's eternal, but also he's the creator. Let's look at verse 3. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. It's interesting. It kind of says in a positive light and in a negative. It's kind of like double whammy. It's saying, look, Jesus is a creator. And my question to you is, do you believe that? Do you believe that someone or something made everything Or are you under the persuasion that nothing or no one made everything? What's interesting is both take faith, don't they? And we can't understand either philosophy 
But for me, when it comes to something or someone or nothing, I believe someone created everything. And I believe it was Jesus. And by the way, not only does John say this, but uh, all throughout Scripture confirms this in Colossians and Hebrews 1, that Jesus is the creator. He is the creator God. He created you. He created everything. Just maybe this week in your quiet time, just think on that truth. It'll blow your mind when you start to think all the layers of what that means, that he created everything. I love it. Jesus is the creator. The next thing we see here is that Jesus is life. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's life, right? Let's look at it. Verse 4. Verse 4 says, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. 37 times in the book of John, we're going to see this word, life. And half the time, like I said earlier, it's going to refer to eternal life, like John 3.16, for God so loved the world, right, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have what? Eternal life, right? That's life after we're done here, after our last breath. But it also refers to abundant life. John chapter 10, verse 10 uh, turn with me there just quickly. It says, The thief comes only to kill and steal and destroy. And then this is the key. He says, I, this is Jesus, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. That's talking about abundant life here on this side of eternity. Jesus gives us life on this side of eternity and forever. He is life. And not only is he life, he is also light. Let's look at it again. It says, in him was life, and that light was the light of all mankind. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, you've got to know that darkness cannot overcome light. I don't care if it's the smallest amount of light. Darkness will not overcome it. And you think about the world's condition. You think about people in your life that you know that don't know the Lord, that are away from God for some reason. That's describing darkness. It's tough to see. But John says, look, Jesus is the light. The light has arrived. And by the way, when you accept Christ into your life, you become light in the darkness. You reflect that light. Knowing Jesus, you are light to other people. You energize the environment wherever you go spiritually. Let's look at verse 8 and 9. This is John the Baptist says, He himself, that's John the Baptist, was not the light. He understood that. We're going to talk about John the Baptist uh, in another week or two. It says, He came only as a witness to the light, right? The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. The Apostle John is saying, look, here's light, and he's coming into the world. Jesus is that true light. And then it goes on to say, verse 14, another truth about who Jesus is, is that Jesus is grace and truth. Let's read it. The word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. It says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth, kind of put together. 
this grace, this unmerited favor and the truth of God's word, the truth of, of uh, the law. It's kind of a combination. Let's look at verse 15. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. That's talking about the eternality of God, right? And then it goes on, it says, out of his fullness, we have received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came from Jesus Christ. Take some time with this. This is important for us to understand that Jesus brings grace into our lives. We don't deserve it, but he brings it in un measured portions. I love it. It says there, grace upon grace. In the old Bible that I used to study out of, it said one blessing after another. One after the next after the next. Grace upon grace upon grace. That's my story. I don't know about you. Well, I do know about you. If you've accepted Christ, that is your story. And you say, well, my life's still a little messed up or I'm not perfect, right? Listen, God's grace has been pouring over you. And you may not recognize it completely, but grace fills your life. And it's different from the law. Verse 17 says, For the law was given through Moses. That's the truth, but it's more rigid. That's something that was unattainable on our own regard. It says, But grace and truth came from Jesus Christ. It's kind of like this powerful combination, grace and truth together. Kind of like milk and cookies, right? They're good by themselves, but man, you put them together, they're extra good, right? Or it's like chocolate and peanut butter. Come on, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, am I, am I preaching to anybody? That, you know, like, or like Batman and Robin, they're better together, or Snoopy and Charlie Brown, I don't know. And what's great is that Jesus, he was full of truth, he understood the law, he understood what was right, but when he brought truth he never diminished grace and on the flip side when he said oh man i'm going to cover that he never diminished truth it's perfect balance of grace and truth and i believe that waves of grace and truth will flood over us and my prayer for you is that you live in that reality that you understand of what god does and how he acts well, who is jesus he's grace and truth i'm grateful for that Three more things, who Jesus is in this prologue. Let's continue. In uh, verse 19 and 20, we see that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. All right, now it says, now this was John's testimony. This is not the Apostle John. This is the, uh, John the Baptist. This was John the Baptist's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. People were wondering, who's this John the Baptist guy? And we'll talk about that. He's the guy that was out in the desert eating you know, little, you know, uh, locusts and, uh, you know, eating bugs and, and uh, wearing sackcloth and, you know, go, going crazy. But anyway, we'll talk about him uh, later. It says he, John the Baptist, did not fail to confess, but confessed freely. He said, I am not the Messiah or I am not the Christ. And then it goes on to say, you know, well, then who are you, Elijah? No, I'm not. Are you the prophet? No. And finally they say, who are you? Give us an answer, right? And John kind of goes, goes back and, and talks about this. But the main thing that I want you to see here is that John, he understood who the Christ was. 
who, who the Messiah was. At the end of John, we read it earlier in John chapter 20, it says, but these were written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. And John, the Apostle John, understood that. He wanted to make sure that was crystal clear. John the Baptist, he knew that as well. In fact, when you look at verse 27, it says, He, that's Jesus, is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy even to untie. John the Baptist understood his role. And he says, look, I am Christ's unworthy messenger. I'm nothing. And by the way, that should be our stance as well when it comes to our relationship with the Lord. We're nothing, and we just reflect Jesus, and it can make a difference in other people's lives. I love that. So Jesus is the Messiah. And then it goes on, verse 29, we see that Jesus is the Lamb of God. Let's read it. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, by the Holy, revelation of the Holy Spirit, he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Wow. See, John the Baptist would have understood that a blood sacrifice from a spotless lamb could provide forgiveness. In fact, it was the only way that your sins could be covered. A substitute, a lamb, pure, innocent. And Jesus, when he saw Jesus, they had grown up together, but now, revealed by the Holy Spirit, Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice, slain for the world. John 3.16, he gave his one and only son. He's talking about the spotless lamb. And what's great about this truth, and what John the Baptist knew, what the apostle John knew, and what we know is that forgiveness is found in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Where, do you, where are you saved? It's Jesus. He covers our sin. He is the lamb of God. And then there's one more truth here in this prologue. And it really is the point of the entire book of John that Jesus is the Son of God. Let's look at these last few verses. Verse 30, we'll start there. It says, This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. John the Baptist always understood that. He says, I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to israel then john gave this testimony i saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him and i myself did not know him but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me this so the holy spirit revealed this to john the baptist said the man on whom you see the spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And then he says, I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Or in some of your Bibles, it might say, this is the Son of God. This is Jesus, the Son of God. We see that at the end of John. We see it all the way throughout that Jesus is, is. It was revealed to John in that moment that this was the Messiah, the Son of God. You say, who is Jesus? Well, John, he does a great job in these first, first 34 verses. He says this, and are you ready? He says, Jesus is the Word. He's God. He's eternal. He's creator. He's life. 
He's light. He's grace and truth. He is the Christ, the Messiah. He's the Lamb of God. He is the Son of God. Wow. You think about this, the truth of that. And the, the reality is we have got to decide what do we do with this truth. See, there's one of two conditions here this morning. Either one of two realities. Either you are in the light or you are in darkness. Either you believe or you are rejecting. Either you are saved or you are lost. And you say, okay, well, if that's the case, what should our response be? Well, let me talk to those that have accepted Christ as your personal Savior. All ears this morning, it's important for you to understand. What should our response be? Well, let's look at John the Baptist, verse, back to verse 6. It says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. That's not the Apostle John, that's John the Baptist. He came as a witness, everybody say witness, to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe. It is our job as believers to witness the response. When you see what John says, this is who Jesus is, what should our response be? We should witness. We should share the good news. In the month of January, we always take time out to talk about our mission and our vision and our core values, that we're here to connect with God, with each other, with the world. We have a little phrase we always say, we are here to reach one more, right? That's what it's talking about. We know the truth, so we don't have to be afraid. We can tell others who Jesus is. We may not be popular, but the Word of God defends it. It's the best news ever. And the Apostle John, at the end of his uh, life, at the end of the first century, he writes and says, look, this is who Jesus is. And you know what? It's our turn to say it again, to be the herald, to let others know. That's our responsibility. If you're a believer here, that should ring loud and true, that we are to be a witness. But what about non-believers? Maybe you're here today and you're not a believer. Maybe Jesus has not altered your life. Or maybe you don't feel like others do or like you think they do. Or if you look at others who are passionate about Jesus and you wonder if you could ever be so in love with Jesus. Or if you wonder, am I truly saved? Or maybe you're here and you're saying, man, I, I don't know if I'm saved. Or maybe you know straight up, I am not saved. I don't have a relationship with Jesus. We want to do what John, the Apostle John says. And let's read about it in verses 8 through 13. Look what it says. He himself, that's John the Baptist, was not the light. He came only as a witness, right, to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and through the world, and, and, I'm sorry, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Let me pause there for a moment. The world, when Jesus came, they didn't understand. John the Baptist had to declare it. Uh, others had to confirm it. Uh, people doubted. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the priests, the Levites, they all wondered. They all were confused. But what we understand here is that the world didn't recognize, but we should recognize. We have the truth of God's word. We should recognize. And then it continues. It says, he came 
to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who receive him and those who believe his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Wow, children of God. Children born not of natural descent. It's not because you're you know, born into a family of believers. No, it's not by that. Or of human decision. It's really a supernatural uh, work in our lives. Or of a husband's will. It's, you, know, you can't be married to a believer and think you're a believer. No, that's not how it works. And then it says, but born of God. We need to be born of God. That's what we do. And how you say, how do I do that? You believe and you receive. Verses 12 and 13. So you recognize. You do what John says. You recognize who Jesus is. And then you believe you receive him as your own. So the question is, has Jesus intercepted your life? Don't think you're greater than this. This is important. We all need a personal relationship with Jesus. We need to make a public confession of that faith. You will never regret it. For 10,000 years from now, you will never regret turning your life over to Jesus. And this morning, we're going to give you that opportunity. And I want to just say, if you're here and you're a believer and you have a desire to reach one more, the truth of who Jesus is, we must help people recognize who He is and help them to receive to believe, and that is what we are all about. This morning, we learned a song in worship. The song is called, What a Beautiful Name, I think, or A Beautiful Name. And it really talks about Jesus. And we're going to just set our hearts before the Lord. We're going to transition here into water baptism here momentarily. Uh, we're also going to give a chance for you, if you don't know the Lord, to respond to a salvation call and that'll be just a moment. But we want to kind of set our hearts before the Lord. Let's stand together and let's sing this song that we are learning. That We're talking about who is Jesus. Well, or we're talking about that. Well, this song kind of describes who he is. And uh, let's enjoy this together as we set our hearts before him. Amen. There's a moment in that song that says, Our sin was great but his love was greater. Oh, man. That's the truth of the gospel. And this morning, if you're here and you've experienced the love of Jesus, you have been forgiven, I just want you to raise your hand and just declare, you know what? I've accepted Jesus as my personal Savior. Just all across the place. Yeah, lots of hands. Lots of hands. You can put your hands down. I see some of the baptismal candidates with your hands raised in the back. That's awesome. You know, this morning, if you're here and you raised your hand just because someone else did and you're still not sure, or you know that if you were to die today, you don't know if you'd spend eternity in the light or in darkness. The reality is Jesus, he's the light, and he wants to meet you this morning. He wants to save you. He came to earth, we will find out. God sent his only son that whoever would believe would not perish,
but would have eternal life. And if you're here this morning and you understand that truth, uh, even you say, I don't understand it all, but I understand I need a Savior, and you're ready to accept Jesus, you're, you are saying, I need Jesus to save me. I want you just to raise your hand right where you are. We've been praying for you. Who this morning is saying, that's me? I need the Lord to touch me. I need Jesus to save me. Who here this morning? Yep, absolutely. Yep, who else? Sensing there may be others that's just saying, man, this is the day, the first day of the year. What a greater day to, to give your life to the Lord, to say, I'm drawing a line and saying, I'm going to serve the Lord. Anyone else? Just wanting to respond, saying, I, boy, I need Jesus. We're going to pray with this young lady. Yes, another hand I see. Thank you. Absolutely. Hallelujah. Amen. Anyone else? Yes. You bet. Yes. Amen. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. A couple ladies here. A couple ladies back here. Hallelujah. Let's just pause here for a moment. What you're about to do is we're just going to lead you in a miracle prayer. It's not the words of the prayer that saves you. It's really believing and receiving Jesus as Lord, like we've, we've been talking about. This morning, if you believe and you're ready to receive, would you pray this with me? And actually, let's all pray together. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, please forgive me for my sin, for the things I've done wrong. Come into my life. Clean up my heart. I believe in you, that you are the Son of God. Save me. Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You know, hallelujah. We can rejoice with the angels in heaven this morning. Hallelujah. And I just want to say, if you're here this morning, and we've got some baptismal candidates that are...